All right, good morning, Crossroads Ministries. It's great to be worshiping with you here this morning. Uh, for those of you who are joining us online, I want to thank you for tuning in. If you're on the auditorium with us here this morning, would you please stand as we worship? Here we go.
worshiping this morning here at Crossroads Ministries. Would you please turn to your neighbor and greet one another? It's a great day to worship in the house of the Lord. Amen.
Be near, near to your 
at the mention of your name, King of majesty. There is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am. The great I everybody. You can have a seat. Good morning. Everybody. Good morning. There we go. Hey, good to be with you. <laughs> good to be with you all. I want to welcome you all. Listen, um, I'm thrilled to be here. We got some exciting guests we're going to have share in a few minutes. want to welcome all of our guests. Please stop by the Welcome Center before you leave. We would love to give you a gift by saying thanks for being here. And all those joining us online, welcome. We're glad that you are joining us online. And uh, we're, God's going to do awesome work this morning in our lives. And so Christy and Eland, would you guys welcome them to the stage? You're going to share a little bit about Mega Sports Camp. Oh, I like that cheer. Thank you. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, we're getting ready for our vacation Bible school. It's coming up on July 10th through the 14th. We're going to do a Mega Sports Camp again this year. We opened up registration uh, last Sunday, and we already have 215 kids pre-registered, so ready or not, here they come. Um, I've asked Elin to come up with me. She was one of our head coaches from last year, and I've asked her to share a little bit about what God did in her life last year uh, helping out with VBS. So share with everybody uh, where you helped. Kindergarten and first grade cooking. We're going to share. And uh, what were your thoughts um, whenever you started planning everything? It was very scary. Um, They were like, you love cooking. And I was like, yeah, but I do it with my one kid. She sells Pampered Chef, so that's your promo for today. Um, and uh, if uh, she does these little videos with her son, RJ, who's in uh, kindergarten. And so when Kim and I were starting to think about, you know, who's going to plan all this cooking and everything, we thought of Elin. And uh, so she was really nervous. She wasn't sure if that was going to be a good fit for her. And uh, what happened on Monday after you, after our first day of EBS? Um, I, was, I was pumped. I couldn't stop smiling. And how would you sum up your week with VBS? <laughs> um, 
I thought that I was doing God's work, and he was actually working in me. Good job, Elon. <laughs> when I called Elon um, uh, earlier this, you know, a couple months ago and said, hey, what do you think about helping out with VBS again this year? Um, she was sharing some of this stuff with me, and she got emotional on the phone. I got emotional on the phone, and I told her, you have to share with everybody, you know, your heart and your passion. And she said, uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> and uh, she did it anyway, so I'm very proud of her. But um, we're, we're still looking for volunteers to come and be a part of our team. So I just want to encourage you, if, if you're on the fence at all and, and you're not sure this is a good fit for you or you're not sure how this would work, um, just take a step of faith and, uh, and see if God will do something special in your heart like he did in Elan's. Um, there is a flyer in your bulletin. If you want to help out, just fill that out. Kim and myself will be in the lobby afterwards, and we can answer any questions that you have. So thank you. Thanks, ladies. A few other announcements to let you all know about is that we kicked off our car cruise this last Tuesday, so that's going to be every Tuesday, 5 to 8.30 up here on our parking lot, and then there's going to be food in the gym, and then just join that great community that's happening every Tuesday, 5 to 8.30. And then next weekend is going to be starting the uh, the clothing drive for Ecuador, and so even though you might not be able to go on the trip uh, and serve with that team, uh, we as a church can still be a part of what's happening in Ecuador and what this team is going to be doing. And so you can see information in your bulletin about what specifically to bring in, uh, but that clothing drive is going to start next weekend, the 11th. And then the following weekend, the 18th, is going to be our Father's Day, our Man Day. So come on up, bring Dad, and we're going to have our breakfast sandwiches in the parking lot. So make sure you grab those when you come in, and uh, it's going to be a great day as we celebrate our dads. That's going to be on June 18th. And then the 23rd of June is going to be our movie night. So we're going to be showing the movie Family Camp in our big blow-up screen down on the field uh, here at the church. And uh, you can see all the information online. You can also register online. It's all free, but we would just like to know who's coming so we can prepare. Uh, but the movie is a great movie. I, um, I'm a big critic of movies, and I, I laughed out loud quite often to the point where my kids don't want to watch the movie with me anymore. And so this movie is actually written by the guys, uh, the skit guys you see there on the screen on that graphic. And um, the, all the, the, the video sketches that we watched on Good Friday uh, were actually produced by these guys, and these guys produced this movie. And so they're in it. They're phenomenal. It's a great movie. It's definitely a family movie. Uh, so I encourage you all to come on up on the 23rd. There's going to be bounce houses and concessions and great family fun stuff, and then we're going to be watching the movie right about dusk. So come on up. Invite a friend. Bring your blanket, a chair, and it's going to be a really great time uh, to just watch a movie and enjoy, enjoy summer. Uh, church, I want to encourage you. In Deuteronomy, it talks about how um, you know, God is, uh, it says, remember the, Lord God, your, remember the Lord your God, because he has given us the ability to produce wealth. And so when we know that God has given us, we worship him with our lives, right? And so we worship him by the way we serve and how we treat others, and we worship him with our finances. And so God has given us the ability to produce wealth. And so we remember him uh, first and foremost. And so thank you, church, for giving. Thank you for giving into the Lord, giving into the mission at Crossroads, which is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We are seeing life changed. Thank God. Isn't that amazing that we are seeing life changed by Christ and we're going to continue to move that direction. So church, thank you for being so faithful and giving. Would you stand with me this morning here at Crossroads as we continue on and worship? Lord, thank you this morning that we can come before you and just declare that you are God, that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lord, we, um, we trust you 
uh, with this time we have, God, that you're going to grow us, you're going to change us, and we want to keep understanding more and more about what it means to follow after you, to follow after you, Lord, and we look at the life of Jesus, and we look at all that he's done, and Lord, we pray that this morning, as we look at another but God statement, that it would be pivotal in our growth, God, so we ask that you would move us, stir our hearts, um, and Lord, that we would walk out of here just encouraged and challenged as we read your word. Lord, thank you for all these events we have coming up from Mega Sports Camp to the movie night. Uh, Lord, to uh, the clothing drive. Uh, God, to um, uh, Lord, with Man Day, we lift all these things before you. It's for your glory and your honor. Would you be worshipped and adored in this place? In Christ's name, amen.
we're taking the God statements. We've been looking at them for a number of weeks now. I told you that there were 45 statements in the Bible about God, where God steps in. There are also another 60 statements, now the Lord, or but the Lord. So basically the same statement, right? But God, but the Lord steps in. So as we've been looking at this, you know, this could be a series for three, four years. But uh, we're going we're gonna to do it just a few more weeks. What I'd like to ask of you is, is there something that God has, that you can look in your life and you can find a but God moment? You can say, okay, this was my life. I was walking in this direction, but God stepped in. <clears throat> if you would be willing to share that, uh, I'd like for you to just take the, take the connection card, put your name on there, and on the back of it just write, I'm willing to share my but God story. Uh, put it in the offering box, and we will get back to you this week. Uh, in the next few weeks, I'd like to do something special with that if, if we have a few people that would uh, that say, yeah, I'd be willing to share my but God story. Uh, maybe it was recently or maybe it was in the, in the last few years or maybe it was in the last 10 years, whatever. How did God step in? What is the but God moment in your life when God stepped in and he transformed your life? So I want to encourage you uh, to, to do that. So just take that Connect card before the end of the service and on your way out, just drop it in the offering box and uh, we'll follow up with you on that. As we're looking in the scripture here, the uh, 45 statements, but God, 60 more, but the Lord. This morning, we're going to look at one of those times. And we're going to look at a time here where a guy was going the opposite direction of what God wanted him to do, but God. And as we look at that, we're going to jump here into the story of Jonah. Uh, you may be familiar with the story of Jonah. Jonah is a whale's tale, right? Just how you've heard it is a whale's tale. Jonah was the, the prophet of God who went away from God, and then he goes into the belly of a whale. And, uh, and I'll just give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. Some people said, well, you know, that's an allegory. And I'm going to tell you it's not an allegory. It's actual history that happened. And, and why do I say that? Well, because Jesus himself said, so as when Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days, so must the Son of Man, Jesus, be in the tomb, in the grave, for three days and three nights before he'll rise. And so if Jesus, who rose from the dead, is going to tell you that that is true, I'm going to tell you that's true. So the Old Testament has value. The Old Testament has Validity, and just because we call it old does not mean that it's not valuable and that it's not true, okay? So it is equally as much the Word of God as every Word of God that you read in the Bible. So it is actual history that happened, and as we jump into it this morning, I want you to think about this because uh, quite often you'll think of Jonah and you'll say, well, who's the real hero in the book of Jonah? You'll think, is, it, uh, is Jonah the hero? You know, he ends up finally doing what God told him to do. No, he's not the real hero. Uh, was it, was it the, the guys on the ship who cast lots and got rid of them? No, it wasn't. they weren't the, they weren't the, uh, the hero. Was it the, was, was it the whale? Was the whale the hero? How about the city of Nineveh? Was that the hero? No, the hero is God himself. And as we read through this passage this morning, the book of Jonah is very short. It's only four chapters and a total of 48 verses total. So four chapters totaling 48 verses. We're not going to read them all, but we're going to read just a little bit of the life of Jonah here this morning, and we're going to see the but God statement. Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. 
But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then verse 4, we see our but God statement. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Jonah is running from God. He's on a path. He's running away from the Lord. Notice in verse Verse uh, 3 there, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's trying to escape God. And folks, I believe that this is what happens in our lives many, many times. We try to escape God. We're going to make our own decisions. We're going to go our own path, and we're going to make, make life on our own without God. We're trying to escape his presence. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. As you look on the map there, you'd see the Assyrian Empire uh, uh, is now in is Iraq. And you'll see up here on the top of the top right of the, of the map there is Nineveh. It's right along the Euphrates, I'm sorry, right along the Tigris River. And uh, it's in what is now known as modern-day Iraq. At the time of the writing there, when God comes to him, at Gath, he, uh, Jonah is at Gath Heifer. And so from there up to Nineveh is about a 550-mile trip. So he's supposed to go northeast. So go east, young man, right? So he's supposed to go east. And what does he do? But Jonah comes out and he takes out his GPS and he says, God wants me to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go the opposite direction. So he says, I'm going to go west. And the scripture tells us there that he goes down to Joppa. He finds the ship and he's going to take the ship off to Tarshish. So he makes the short trip from Gethhapper down to Joppa. Then he's going to hop on the boat, and he's going to go out to Tarshish. Well, Tarshish, was uh, you're familiar with that, Saul of Tarshish. That was the Apostle Paul. That was the town that he came from. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's a mighty journey. It's 2,500 miles from where he was. Uh, this next map here gives you a little bit better picture so that you can see. God told him to go to the east, 500 miles. He says, no, I'm going to go to the west, 2,500 miles. And so this was a, it was a, a, a terrible decision that he makes to, to go against God here. But uh, he says, I'm going to go as far as I possibly can away from God. And I want you to think about that because I think today many of us are making the same decisions. How far will we run to get away from God? And think about that. How far will we run to get away from God? God has, God has his eye on each of us, and how far will we go to get away from it? God has a calling on each of us. God's been working and drawing you unto himself, and then we make decisions, and we say we're going to go our own way. Maybe it's a particular job situation. Maybe it's a particular relationship. Uh, you come out, and you take your GPS, and you say, I'm going to go my way. I know these are the things that God wants for me in my life, but I'm going to do my direction. I'm going to change course, and I'm going on my direction. Folks, when we run from God, we always run into dangerous places. And this is what happened here with, uh, with, with Jonah. Jonah is coming, and he's running from God, and he's going into a dangerous place. As he gets onto the, onto the ship, all of a sudden, God is there, and he whips up the storm. It's a dangerous place. Psalm 33 and 11 
says that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart are to all generations. When the Lord is speaking to you, you want to listen and you want to obey it. You want to follow through with it. Like if God's placed a call on your life to do something, you've got to go do it. I mean, that's what God's called us to do. As a matter of fact, every one of us as believers have a call. There's not one. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he has a plan, he has a purpose, he has a calling on your life. How do I know that? Because the scripture is pretty clear about it. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see this verse. We see here that for you see your calling. And we just talked about this a few weeks ago, how that God doesn't call the many mighty and the many noble. He says, for you see your calling, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And so that word calling, I looked at, looked at a little word study on the word calling. What does it mean? It means an invitation. God has an invitation on every one of your lives to do something for him. He didn't just save you to go to heaven. He saved you also so that you would do good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He saved you so that you would do the calling that he has placed on your life. So he's inviting you to join him in his work. This is what he was doing with Jonah. He had a calling on Jonah's life. He invited Jonah to, to, to come and be a, part, a participant in the work of God and to do what he wanted him to do. He wanted him to go to this city. And he says, no, I'm going to go my way. I'm going to go my opposite direction. Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prisoner, Paul speaking here, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. There's a strong teaching in the Bible that says, man, God has called you unto himself. He's called you to serve him. Now walk worthy of it. In other words, you're not worthy of it, but walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling. In other words, you're a believer of Christ. Walk like a believer. And this is what God's called us to do. These are the hard things of Scripture, but he's given you a calling. And many people will tell me that they don't know their calling. Many people are struggling with their calling. God has a calling, and he's speaking to each one of us. Um, you may may not have heard his voice. I don't hear a audible voice. I'm not talking about something audible. I'm talking about hearing the voice of God. You know, I think everybody wants this. Everybody wants us to go outside, and there's a neon billboard that says, you are to go to church this morning. Uh, you are to tell your neighbor about Jesus, Right? Uh, everybody wants to know, like when you're, t- when you're making a job decision, right? Everybody wants to know, am I making the right decision? You want to know God's will for your life, right? So that's natural. You want to know God's will. I tell young people all the time, you want to know God's will for your life. Well, there's a lot of decisions. God gives you a lot of decisions in, within there. Do you, where, where do you like to live? Obviously, Pittsburgh. He allows you to live here, right? And so this is wonderful. You made a choice to live in Pittsburgh. But, but, but fine-tune it. Listen, God says the will of God is that you give thanks in everything. That's the will of God. I mean, that's plain. It's real clear in the Scripture. Another statement about the will of God is that you remain uh, pure, sexually pure. You, you keep, your, keep sex to a marriage, right? This, is, this here is your will, is the will of God. So people are looking, what is the will of God? What is God's will in my life? All I have to do is look through the Scripture. Um, the, the will of God is that I should rejoice and be glad. I mean, you just see over and over the will of God. The will of God is that I pray about everything. So as I come and I understand what God's will already is, as I keep moving, now I, I will hear the voice of God as I get alone. I tell people all the time, it's not that God's not speaking. 
it's more likely that you're not listening. You see, because you won't hear the will of God. You won't hear the call of God when you're angry, when you're upset. You won't hear the will of God when you're busy, when you're just filled with chatter, when you're filled with all the things of this world. So here's what happens. Everything in this world takes our attention. I mean, it's constantly grabbing at our attention. What we've got to do is we've got to get alone with God and we've got to get silent with Him. Psalm 46 says to be still and to know that I am God, right? So I want to challenge everybody with this little exercise here this week. I want to challenge you to just go back on your, on your porch in the evening or in the morning. Actually, maybe the morning's a little better. Now that it's 90 degrees outside and we are humans again in Pittsburgh, go outside and just sit there for 10 minutes and quiet. Put a timer on and just be there quiet, like in that chair for 10 minutes and just total solitude. See what happens. What happens is you begin to, you, you begin to unthaw a little bit. And you, can, and you can slowly begin to hear God. And then, then after 10 minutes, I'll encourage you to start to talk to God. Because here's one of the reasons that we don't hear from God sometimes because we're doing all the talking. We've got to stop and we have to hear from God. So we'll hear from Him in His Word. Pick up the Bible and read read one chapter. Just start in the book of John. Just start reading there. Read a chapter. Maybe it's in Proverbs. You're going to read a chapter in Proverbs. You're going to meet with God. But take take the first ten minutes of total solitude. Then pick up his word and then talk to him. And, and watch what will happen. You'll begin to hear God leading in your life. Most of the time people can't hear God leading in their life because it's too loud. It's too noisy. God always speaks in a still, small voice. He speaks to our heart quietly. So you're not going to hear an audible voice. You're not going to see a neon light. There's not going to be, you know, the clouds aren't going to say, you know, you know, get out of bed today. Uh, you know, that's what the sun does anyhow. You know, the sun peeks in your window, right? Uh, what's going to happen is you're going, to, you're going to respond as you hear the Lord. And so this is where Jonah's at. Jonah's on the run. Jonah doesn't want to hear from the Lord. As a matter of fact, he doesn't like what he already heard from the Lord. And so he's running from the Lord. Uh, look at verse 3 again there. I want you to check this out. Verse 3 says that, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from, from the presence of the Lord. So he's trying to escape the presence of the Lord. And so he went down. And the, this is written in story form. It's, it's historical, but it has a story form. It's a literary style of writing. He says he went down to Joppa. I want you to notice how many times he uses the word down. Because he says he went down to Joppa. He's talking about, man, Jonah's going down. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, and it continues on. He says, so he paid the fare, and he went down, second time you see the word down, to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here's what happened. He's trying to run from God, and he ends up, he ends up paying the fare. You know, did he reach his destination? No, he never made it to Tarshish. He tried to get as far as away as he could from God, but he paid the fare and he never made it to the destination. And folks, when you're running from God, you will always pay the fare, but you'll never make it to your destination. You'll be looking, your destination is happiness, your destination is fulfillment, finding yourself even. Let me tell you, when you're running from God, you'll always pay the fare, but you'll never make it to that destination. This is what happened with Jonah. He paid the fare. He paid dearly. Man, I can look back at different times in my life, and I can tell you, man, I paid the fare. 
Uh, there's an example in Scripture of, of this principle here. Uh, Moses, when he was born, his mother, you know, they were, they were in, in that time, they were killing these newborn babies. So Moses is, uh, is put into a basket and sent down into the river along the bulrushes. She takes a step of faith from God and puts her baby in there, and the baby makes the way down into Pharaoh's court, and these, these Egyptian women come out and grab this Jewish little boy and end up raising him in, in, in Pharaoh's court. Now, let me tell you, when you do it your own way, you end up paying the fare. She did it God's way. God paid the fare. Moses was raised for 40 years in the, in the, in, in the courts of Pharaoh. You guys that are raising children, you know how expensive that is? I think today it's like $250,000 to raise a kid. You kids should be real thankful to your parents. Just remember that, okay? And I don't think that includes college. I'm just telling you like it is. So I want you to catch this. When you raise them according to God's plan, man, you give them over to God, God pays the fare. When I do it according to my way, I end up paying the fare. And I end up being broken. And, and I want you to catch it because I'm talking about not just financial. I'm talking about everything in your life. When you make a bad decision, when you say, God, I know clearly this is the direction you want me to go, but God, I'm going to go over here you will pay dearly and you'll pay much more than you ever thought you would pay emotionally, spiritually, physically. And God says, I want, all I want you to do is follow me because I've got it all planned out. I will pay the fare and I will give the blessing. Why did Jonah run from God? I mean, you heard the audible voice. He heard the audible voice and he still ran from God. God says, these people are evil. They're wicked. I want you to go up here and do this. So he runs from God. Well, here's a couple of thoughts. Number one, it was just too difficult. It's a, it's a long way, 500 miles, you know, 500 miles on land versus a trip on a boat. That's a, that's a no-brainer, right? 500 miles, I'm going to take this 500-mile walk or on a camelback, horseback, whatever. Um, I could only imagine the, uh, oh, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to drive 550 miles, do you? You know, 550 miles, some of you are going to go on vacation this summer. You're going to drive that far to get to the ocean, Right. Man, that, after you get there, you need a week off just from getting there, right, from driving. This is what he's, he's like, man, it's just too difficult. Uh, how about in the, the desert? He had to go through the Arabian desert. There were robbers. There were thieves. There were scorching heat. Um, when he got to the city, he would have to go. And when he got into Nineveh, there is, there's walls around the city of Nineveh that were 100 feet thick. 100 feet thick. There were 1,200 guard towers. This place was highly secure. So, uh, and he's going to a people that hated the Jews. I mean, here was a Jewish prophet, and he's going to go to these non-Jewish people, and he's going to give them the word of the Lord. As a matter of fact, the warning that he was carrying was not a very pleasant warning. It was basically turn or burn. Turn to God, turn from your sin, and turn to God, or you will burn. This place will be fallen in ruins. These were the arch enemies of the, of, of the people of God, and God was sending him out to the arch enemies. Um, just a little interesting fact about the city of Nineveh. It was founded by a guy by the name of Nimrod. This was Noah's great-grandson. Uh, these people, they were falling away from God. These people began to worship the uh, worship, uh, fish god. As a matter of fact, Nineveh means residence of Nunu. And the residents of Nunu, Nunu is, a, uh, is a, a word in another language that means fish. And so as these people of their, of their native language, they were the residents of the fish. Uh, it was a fish town, so they worshipped the fish god. 
And isn't it rather interesting that God's going to take the guy with the biggest fish story and send him to the fish town? Isn't that interesting, all right? So uh, uh, here he is, uh, just, just interesting, okay? Um, so the second possibility here was that it was dangerous. Not only was it too difficult, but it was dangerous. Man, the, the city's fortified. How's he going to get into this? The scripture says that their wickedness has come up before me. There was another prophet by the name of Nahum. If you read Nahum chapter 3, he describes the city of Nineveh. He says that it was a bloody city. There were a great number of bodies. A countless corpses were lying there. The Ninevites were known for dismembering their people, for decapitating and for burning people at the stake. I mean, these people were brutal people. Um, Asher Banerpal, he was the grandson of Sennacherib, would take people's lips and tear them off their face. Now, isn't that a great way to put an end to gossip? Just rip them right off your face. Further, he would pull their hands off. He would pull people's feet off. Not chop them off, pull them off. Um, this, uh, I believe, is that Asher Banerpal there? All right, so we have, uh, this is like a stone carving of these guys, and you can see some of the relics. As you go and you just research Nineveh, you'll find a bunch of these different different uh, ruins that are laying around out there, uh, around around that city today. Um, he, 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 was a, he, was a, he was a bad dude. Uh, they, the, the other guy, Tiglath-Pileser, he flayed his captives. He piled up skulls in front of the, uh, in front of the, in front of the gate, just to scare you off. And he just showed you how, how, how bad a duty was. Uh, we're going to go to the artist's conception here. I want to show you the artist's conception of Nineveh. This was an artist's conception of the impression of Nineveh, what it would look like as you came into the sound of Ni- city of Nineveh. The next one is uh, an impression of their palace. So, uh, you know, Jonah has got to go in and tell these people, turn or burn. He's got to go up and down the city. He's got to tell them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you don't repent, there's impending judgment coming. There's impending doom coming. Um, You can see uh, many of these things as you look around out there. Uh, The next one is, uh, just show a couple of those other pictures there. Dave will put them up there for you. And these are just some of the things that were carved in stone, showing the strength of their king. Uh, The next one shows even more strength of their kings. And so as you see this, this, this was not an easy place for him to go. But let me say this more. Jonah saw all the reasons not to go, but there were, the biggest reason that he didn't go was he had a heart problem. See, this is what you and I do. We'll look and we'll say, we can rationalize every reason why I should not follow God. God, I'm not going to do this. God, I know you want me to do this. I know you want me to love my neighbor. I know you want me to forgive somebody. I know you want me to make these right decisions. But God, I'm going to tell you why I shouldn't. God, it's dangerous. God, I've been burnt. God, I'm not going to forgive again. I've already been hurt. And you go through this whole list, whatever it is, whether it's going to your neighbor with a cherry pie or it's going, going to your mother and asking forgiveness on something, all right? As you come down this pike here, you've got to understand there's a bigger issue as a heart problem. You can give all the reasons, but the heart problem is your biggest one. And this is the, the, the thing that Jonah was dealing with. Jonah... After God swallows him in the belly of the well, after he comes out, Jonah ends up going up to the city of Nineveh, and he walks in, and he begins to proclaim his message. You go read it in chapter 3, and you'll see that he proclaims his message, and as he proclaims the message, people just instantly responded. 
People repented. They began to, they began to uh, um, cry for their sin. They began to cry to God. They, they got on their knees. And the whole city, a city of 600,000 people, the scriptures tell us, end up coming to God. They return back to God. Like these were pagans. They weren't even part of the Jewish plan. These were the enemies. And so Jonah goes out there, and here's the deal. Jonah 3.10, God then saw their works. In other words, what they had done as a result of the change of their heart, that they had turned away from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And so you would think, man, as Jonah, man, he's already been through the well already. He's been through all this stuff, and now he's having great success. He has 600,000 converts. I mean, if I had 600,000 people that responded to, to a sermon, man, I'd be losing my mind. I'd be so happy, you know. I'm happy when six people stay awake, yelling you know, 600,000, right? It's like, man, you know, you get excited about this. He should have been the happiest prophet alive. But look how he responds to this. He says, but it displeased Jonah. It displeased Jonah. Exceedingly, excessively. He's excessively angry. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, Ah, Lord, was this not what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. This is the very character that we love about God. Jonah says, That's why I didn't want to go, because you would forgive those people. They don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't like those people. I'm mad at them. They're our number one enemy. And he's got a real heart problem. And even after he saw a whole city come to God, he cries out to God, God, I knew you would be slow to anger. I knew you'd be abundant in love and kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. We see a prophet that has a heart problem. Whether you're serving the Lord as a layman or a full-time person, the heart's the biggest thing that we've got to work on. And here was a man that was a prophet of God. And God was still working with him. Like you would think after you were thrown overboard from a ship, then you were swallowed up by a well. Like I'd be, I'd be okay with whatever God's going to do. He had such bitterness towards these people. He had probably a touch of racism in him. He had a touch of uh, anger. He had a touch of uh, bitterness. And folks, here's what happens. When bitterness enters into our picture, it actually destroys. I mean, bitterness will taint everything about your vision. Bitterness is blinding to the eyes of our heart. It really is. It is blinding to the highs of our heart. When you are bitter, you know, I, I just did, we officiated two weddings this week. And at both those weddings, I told these couples right there when I'm giving them my final words before they go over the edge, right? I said, hey, listen, let me tell you how this works. You're going to have to learn how to forgive each other. And they, you know, you're expecting a happy sermon when you're getting married, right? I give you the real deal, you know? You're, you're going to have some hard times here. You have to learn how to forgive each other because Christ forgave you. 
And, and, and then I quote the verse from Ephesians where it says, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. And I often tell them that means that sometimes you've got to be up pretty late at night dealing with your anger before you go to sleep. Like sometimes there's disagreements that will come between a husband and wife. You know what happens if you let that go for two, three days? It turns into bitterness. And so, so in our house, there's been many times that I've had to stay awake late at night because cause I was the bad guy. And I had to deal with this, right? Um, of course, she's never done anything to offend me, so there's nothing. I, I went, she never had to stay up late on, my, on, on her account, right? But listen, I've had to have those late-night talks. Why? Because if you let unforgiveness continue, it becomes bitterness. And this is what happened to this prophet. He was bitter. He was bitter. He said, God, I don't like those people. They're our enemies. Why are you doing this, God? I knew your character would step in and you'd do what I wouldn't want you to do. And God, you did it anyhow. And God has to keep working with this guy. Ephesians 1.18 is a powerful verse talking about the eyes of your hearts. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. That you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Folks, here's what happens when bitterness is in the way. My eyes and my heart can't see. And the scripture says, man, I pray that he enlightens your eyes, that he opens your eyes so that you can see the hope. You can see the glorious riches that God has for you. That you can see this. You see the great power. And what happens is when you're bitter and you're angry, you're upset. You can be angry upset your parents. You can be angry upset your spouse. Anybody. You can be angry upset at God. God, that guy didn't deserve that. Why did he get that and I didn't? Just like we talked about last week. I mean, you, get, you, can, you can have all this thing set up in your life. And whenever, whenever you're dealing with this bitterness, that bitterness has got to be removed for the eyes of your heart to be able to see. And this is why Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, so that we may have that. So that, that bitterness can be removed. And so, folks, you don't have to live in a bitter life. The, the, the Jonah, this prophet, he struggled with this over and over and over. Man, I'll tell you what, one time being thrown overboard, I've been done. That's it. I can't even swim. Like, what was he thinking? What, what, what's wrong with you, Jonah? Jonah tried to escape the presence of the Lord. Psalm 139, powerful, powerful passage. It's lengthy, but it's very powerful. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? See, Jonah already had this writing. He, he should have understood this already. He had this word, just like you and I do. But we still try to run. We still try to make decisions on our own without consulting the Almighty. We try to go fill our own needs in our own way. We try to just do it in my power all the time. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Even though I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. Come on, Jonah. God already had it spelled out for you. And yet we're the very same way. 
Well, there was a but God moment. Here was the but God. Verse 4 of Jonah 1.4. But the Lord, but God sent out a great wind of the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid of every man, uh, afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw their cargo that was into the in, into in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship; he had laid down, and he was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, "What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us, so that we may not perish." And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And as you continue to read, you see that they end up throwing Jonah overboard. You see, God was involved. God created the storm. God let those guys cast lots. He let Jonah take the short straw. Those guys toss him over. Jonah 1.17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I was looking at that map and I thought, the Mediterranean Sea? Are there even whales in there? There's ten different species of whales in the Mediterranean Sea today, leading all the way up to the sperm whale, one of the largest whales can be found in the Mediterranean Sea. God creates a storm. It's all in perfect timing. And he throws them out. I mean, it had to be within seconds, right? How long are you going to live underwater? And this fish takes him. And the fish provides safety for him. And he lives in this well for three days. And it was there that Jonah got a hold of him. Jonah 2.1 says, then, God, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And if you read chapter 2, you read this whole prayer that he cries out to God. Folks, this is what happens when we get in these places. Turn to God. Don't, 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 be, don't be bullheaded. Don't, don't, be, don't, don't keep bucking God. I mean, you've already run from God, and God's, but God, he's getting in your life. He's doing this. He's doing it. He's doing it. He's pulling you close to himself. And then when you get down to that moment of despair, don't, don't keep bucking it. Surrender. And Jonah does. In Jonah chapter 2.10, the Lord spoke to the fish. Now, I love this. Again, you see the Lord. Now the Lord, but God. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. I love the description. Isn't it awesome? He just blah. <laughs> he throws them up on dry land. You know, I was watching the news. Every now and then these whales, will, you'll see sightings where they make it up to land. This is what God did for Jonah. God will not be stopped, folks. God will not be stopped. I want you to catch this. You cannot, you can't stop the plan of God even when you disobey. God's plan will still keep going. God wanted to reach Nineveh. And he chose to reach Nineveh. He chose Jonah. Jonah ran. God said, I'm still going to reach Nineveh. Jonah goes up there. Jonah gives the word. God, it's all in the power of God. It wasn't in the power of Jonah. Jonah just walking around saying, repent, repent, repent. And these people repent. You see, God will not be stopped even by your disobedience. So I want to ask you, are you willing to choose? The choice is yours. Will you, 
Will you keep running from God? Will you pay the fare? Or will you enjoy the presence of God? I mean, it's just real simple. And yet sometimes you can look back on your life and you can see when you were running from God and you can see the changes that he makes. But maybe you're in a moment right now where you're just running from God. Maybe God's speaking to you this morning. Like God's talking to your heart. and He's tapping at your heart's door and you're like, well, gee, I have been kind of bitter. I've been bitter at just some of the life circumstances. God, why are you doing this to me? God, why? Why is that, why is that unbeliever? Why is that, why is that pagan getting all the good? And I'm suffering down here. I want to tell you, keep walking the road of suffering, folks. Because that suffering's nothing compared to what happens when you take your own way. When you take your own way, it's disaster. And we've all done that, haven't we? I look around our church. I see the testimonies of the grace of God. I see but God's statements everywhere. And I'm watching the homing pigeons. It's wonderful what God's doing, man. God just keeps bringing people back to himself. And it's all through his power. And you know what happens when you go out there? Man, it's lonely. It's cold. It's dark. But God... God steps in and he says, I just want you. I want you to have a relationship with you and I want you to to do what I've called you to do. Today, as we close our service, I want to ask you to run to God. And I want to ask you to run with God. It's a powerful opportunity that we have. We're going to close with communion today. And as we do this, I'm going to ask the men who are serving communion to come forward and we'll begin to serve, serve the congregation. As you are served the communion, would you please retain it until everyone's been served and then we'll partake together. The, the bread is on the bottom on the smaller circle side and you can just peel that and get, get ready for when we take that bread first. But, but I, just want to, I just want you to know, The the scripture says that every time that we do this, we're proclaiming the death of Jesus. Uh, We'll put that scripture up there, 1 Corinthians. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I want to encourage you this morning. First of all, if you're not a believer, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Communion this morning is for those that are followers of Jesus Christ. If you said yes to Jesus, I want to encourage you to partake with us. If you've not yet done that, I want to encourage you to open your heart and to trust Jesus. And Listen, Jesus died on the cross. He paid for your sin. And all he says is to turn from your sin to Jesus. So I want to encourage you this morning, if that's you, you just, just cry out to the Lord. Just pray a prayer, something simple this morning, and call upon him and invite him into your life. And so at this moment, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, before we take this Lord's Supper this morning, this is just bread you're holding in your hand. It was a symbol that Jesus gave to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken. Do this in remembrance of me. If that's you this morning, if you're here this morning and you say, I haven't trusted Christ, would you just call upon the name of the Lord before we take communion together? Just pray something to him and say, Dear Jesus, I come before you. 
I'm a sinner, God. I've been, I've been running from you. But today, Lord, I know that you died on the cross. And you paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me, God. And I invite you into my heart and soul right now. God, as we hold this bread in our hands, we're reminded of the statement that you said, this is my body which is broken for you. Lord, we're so thankful that your body was broken that we could be made whole. Lord, we ask your blessing upon this as we take together. And I ask now, Lord, that you'll bless each one as we worship you and you'll be adored by the worship as we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Jesus also took the cup. He had, it was at the Last Supper, he had taken the bread and the juice. He's taken the bread first, and then he takes the juice, takes the cup, and he holds the cup up, and he says, this do in remembrance of me. Another account says that he says, this is the new covenant. My blood is the new covenant between God and man. God made a promise, and when God makes a promise, he doesn't renege on it. The new covenant, the new promise, the new commitment between God and man is the blood of Jesus. It's no longer the law. The law shows us why we needed the blood of Jesus. And God says that we'll seal it with the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there would be no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus gave his blood on the cross for you. Let's pray over this juice now as Jesus prayed over the cup in the Last Supper. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and I just thank you for how you've been speaking to us today, Lord. We thank you for this cup that we hold. It's a symbol to us, Lord, of the blood of Jesus. God, be adored. We honor you. We bless your name. We ask you to bless this now to our bodies. Bless us as we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just close in prayer with a a few moments of silence. And just bow your heads and close your eyes for another minute. And just thank God for what he's done here this morning. Maybe God's speaking to you. How is God talking to you? This is the time hear from the Lord and to respond to Him. God, thanks for being so good to us. God, thanks for the miracles that you have performed in people's lives this morning. Thanks for those that just trusted you. Thank you for believers that are going to run to you. God, you're so good. 
We thank you and we adore you. We bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand together and be dismissed. God bless you and have a great weekend.